Thanks for tuning into the podcast of the Original Pentecostals. We hope that you would connect with us online. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, you can follow us at T.O.P. of Leesburg. Stop by our website at theoriginalpentecostals.com. And if you haven't already, join us on Sundays at 11.30 a.m. for service. We are currently meeting at Frederick Douglass Elementary at 510 Principal Drummond Way, Southeast in Leesburg, Virginia. Feel free also to give us a call at 571-206-1783 for any information you may need. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Book of Judges, chapter 7. Book of Judges, chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 2. Judges, chapter 7, verse 2. If you do not have it, if you're not there yet, you can look right at the screen behind me and read along with me. It says this, And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now, therefore, proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned. And 10,000 remained. So we've got a figure of 32,000 people with Gideon ready to go to battle, or seemingly ready. And at this point, 22,000 Leave. Verse number four says, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, and the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go with me. Are you still with me today? So he brought the people down to the water, the remaining 10,000. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink, and the number of those who lap, putting the hand to their mouth, was 300. Would you say 300? But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink the water. And then the Lord said to Gideon, verse 7, By the 300 men who lapped, I will save you. And deliver the Midianites into your hands. And let all the other people go. Let all the other people go. Let them go. Would you put your Bible down and put your phone down and leave it down and lift your hands and say, Lord, let me be one of the chosen. Let me be one of the chosen. Lord, touch my mind today. Let me hear your word today, Jesus. Lord God, eliminate any distraction in my life, Lord God. Right now, let me hear your word clear as day in Jesus' name. Would you say in Jesus' name? Would you clap your hands to the Lord as you're seated today? Thirty-two thousand. That's a that's a staggering number of people. 
minus 300 is 31,700, if you math scholars couldn't get that that quick. 31,700 people left. They were not qualified. And 31,000 people, 31,700 people were the forgotten. I'd like to speak to you today on that topic of the forgotten. 32,000 people that were with Gideon. 32,000 people that called Gideon their leader. 22,000 who were scared. 9,700 who were not ready for warfare. The staggering number baffled me. As I initially read this passage, I have heard numerous sermons, numerous sermons. I can recall as being in Winchester when, when Brother Fosdick was there and we were just starting the church here about how God gave Gideon the victory with these tools. I've heard how the tactic, tactics that God can give will provide the victory without even fighting. And I would encourage you to go back and read this chapter because it is so amazing what God does with those chosen. But I have never heard mention of the 31,700 individuals who were not ready to go to war. And you continue on reading in that book of Judges in, in chapter 8, where it doesn't even mention those 31,700 people in the next battle. But it does mention the 300, worn down and tired, but they still prevail, and they still go on to win the next battle. It wasn't that they weren't on leave, those 31,000. It wasn't that they had their day pass, and they could just skip out this battle, and they had the day off. It was because they were not ready to fight. They were not ready to fight. The chapter reads where a group of 300 in chapter 8 still fights alongside Gideon and they are triumphant over their enemies. And just like that, 31,700 people are forgotten. And this has stayed on my mind. This has stayed on my heart, God had given me a word uh, a few weeks when I when I had begin to start to begin to study for this, and uh, I began to think, how could twenty two thousand, how could twenty two thousand people be scared when they are fighting on the Lord's side? How could one person not be a catalyst for twenty two thousand other people? How could one just not start a fire that would inspire someone to be confident in what they were fighting for? You see, I am sure Gideon has, has spoken and he has passed down through the ranks of his leadership and positive reinforcement that we are going to fight and the Lord is on our side. We will win. The victory will be just like before. And I'm sure Gideon said this, he wants to do it again. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? How could they not set fear aside? 22,000. How could they not set fear aside and trust in the man of God of what God was telling them was going to happen? Gideon, continuing to trust in God, heard a word that said, God said, let's apply a filter. Let's do this. And I continued reading on to the next passage. And I look back and I wonder, this makes sense 
uh, with these 9,700 not being fearful. They're, they're just going in face first, but they're not ready for an attack. We understand that. And we understand that Gideon and God had asked for those to be alert and engaged for battle. Are you with me today? I'm trying to make a comparison to where we are, to where they were back then. But it proved to me there that God needed individuals, and He still needs them today, who had an intent on winning the battle. There's a difference between showing up for the battle. There's a difference between being on the battlefield. And there's a difference between on the be, being on the battlefield and fighting. And then there is a difference with being on the battlefield, fighting with the intent to win. And God is calling us today to have that same intent. He needed those who were alert and engaged and I look at the 22,000 individuals, and, and I believe that they thought, I bet Gideon has no idea what he's even doing. The Midianites have close to 135,000. 135,000. That's way more than 32,000. That's way more than 10,000. And they begin to think, there's, there, there's no chance we would win even if we had 32,000. Of course I'm afraid. There's no chance to win at all. I'm just going to take my, take my day off. Why would we even go? I would love to have, be able to ask them that, are you scared or did you just think you were going to lose? Were you scared or, or were you think that you were just going to lose? And, and then I further go on and I look at the 9,700 and, and I think that they're like, really, Gideon? Really? been following you, and because I drink water a certain way, I'm, I'm out? Really? That's, that's how you're going to treat me, Gideon? Okay, cool. All right. Peace. Good luck. Good luck. Take 300 guys with you to fight 135,000. And meanwhile, Gideon is standing there trusting in God, thinking to himself, what have I done? Have I not told the people? Have I not instilled into them what to do? Have I not given them faith in God? Have I not given them uh, uh, the ability to have an intent? Have I not told them it's going to be all right? But Gideon had no choice just to stand there and pursue after those 31,000. He had to go on with the 300. He had to go on with those who were chosen by God. And 31,700 people were forgotten. Some of you may negotiate and, and say, Pastor Bucky, this was God's plan all along. God wanted to do this. You know, the opening scriptures, they, they are particular in where God is saying, I want you to know that I have given you the battle, not of anything that you've done. But let me tell you this, 32,000 versus 135,000 is still no comparison in my book. And I would say that may be true, but they were outnumbered by five times already at that high number. And it wasn't the number decrease that prepared the way for battle. Hear me today. It wasn't the number increase that prepared the way for battle. It was the ability. Would you say ability? 
It was the ability of the 300 remaining that were sold out. They were sold out. They were going to make sure that this process went through. And guess what? If you read on through that chapter and you go to the next chapter, it doesn't say that there were 299. It says there were 300 still with Gideon. And today, if you have interpreted, interpreted this already, I can liken Gideon to our pastor. There are times he fills this pulpit with words direct from the Lord, words of encouragement, words of warning, words of wisdom, words of guidance, yet some of us choose to live fearful and afraid. And at the point where pastor says, if, if this is a choice that you want to do, we run and we just go and we go back to our place and we let those, the chosen, we let them continue on. I've been at a place where our Gideon has given us instruction from the Lord, like those 10,000 remaining with them. And I, and I have questioned, I'll be the first to admit, I have questioned, really, Gideon? Really, Pastor, you're going to call us to go on a fast at Thanksgiving time? Really, Pastor? Really, Pastor, you're, you're going to base my eligibility, my, my next step in God on whether I, I adhere to this, this whim of an idea that you had? And that caused me to stand on the sidelines at times. That caused me to leave the battle. That caused me to question what was going on in my own life because I did not have the intent. Are you with me today? Are you still here today? Come on, I've got a word from the Lord for you. Can I assert to you today that a church body that is not engaged with the message of their pastor, a body who has no awareness of the vision of our pastor, will end up like 31,700 individuals forgotten? I'm here to tell you today that God, this day, this very moment, is choosing you. And while the filters that he is applying to your life through our man of God may not feel like the right filters that's going for you, they are filters directly given from God. But Gideon and the remaining with him will continue to believe in God. And we will continue to trust in God. And we see those that remaining with Gideon tired and worn down from fighting, they will continue to trust in God. They continue to trust in God in chapter 8, and they continue to walk, and they continue to fight, and God gives them the victory because of their willingness. Let me tell you today that there has never been more of a time that we need to stand behind our pastor and say, I am with you. You are my leader. I am with you. I'm sure some of those 300 that Gideon kept had friends that he didn't keep. I'm sure some of those 300 questioned in themselves at a time, why don't we have more than 300 people? Why? And while they may have questioned them, while they may have had friends who were on the sidelines, they continued to fight. It did not keep them from fighting. It did not keep them from fighting. And that did not keep them from listening 
and following the plan that the man of God had told them to do. Can I get an amen? Trumpets, pitchers, and lamps. Those were the weapons that Gideon told them that they needed. Can you imagine this? 135,000 Midianites. And Gideon is telling us to bring a lamp, a trumpet, and a pitcher. Let me tell you this. If you're ever going into a battle against an army that is 450 times the size at this point, and your leader says, okay, guys, here's what we're going to do. Make sure you bring your pitchers, your trumpets, and your lamps. Okay, Gideon. <laughs> you better believe that every single one of those 300 men were praying for God to intervene. You better believe that they were like, Whoa. okay. <laughs> but yet, the man of God comes to this pulpit right here and says, we need to do this for victory. If you will do this, God will provide, our pastor tells us. Yet we walk out of those doors and we question the words that come out of his mouth. And we leave defeated. And we come back on Wednesday night. We come back on a Sunday with the same struggle, with the same thing. Meanwhile, two weeks ago, he told us what we needed to do. Really, Gideon? Come on. I've got some friends who, who, who think victory can be achieved this way. I'm sure some of those 300 had that thought. Like we have sometimes when our pastor says something. And we wonder why we have empty chairs. And we wonder why our baptistry is not set up. Our baptistries are dry. And we wonder why the harvest is barren and the revival fire is barely a flicker. We have to know what the man of God says is from God. I'll be completely honest with you today. This is not what I wanted to preach. I didn't want to preach this. But I couldn't let go of it. I felt God urging me this entire week and the week before to, to do the, to talk about this. And I have said it before and I'll say it again. We must lift up our pastor. We must lift up our pastor in prayer daily. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, pray in the Spirit at all times on every occasion. Can I get an amen? Come on, people. We're going to get some pillows and blankets out here. Come on. Paul says, stay alert. In verse 18, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And look, look at verse number 19. It says this. Paul says this to the church, and pray for me too. If you're not praying for your pastor, don't expect a good word from the Lord. Oh, Brother Bucky, come on now. No. If you don't understand that our pastor has his own battles to fight, look at the scripture. Paul is in chains. Paul is in chains bound in prison. 
And yet he's still giving of himself to the church. He's still giving of himself, trying to show them the right way, trying to teach them the right things. And Paul's like, hey, 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 I still need your prayers. Please be persistent. Please stay alert. Paul also said this writing to the church in Galatia, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. For let every man and woman prove his own work. How many of us are still living on the blessings of others? How many of us are coming in here and feeling the presence of God because of the praise team? And we sit in the chairs, and we feel the presence of God, and we experience the blessings of God because of others. Paul says, let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. There's something that changes in your life when you begin to make a difference with God in your own life. Did you hear me today? Verse number 5 in Galatians chapter 6 says it like this, For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches in good things. And verse 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth. I'm not talking about fabric there. I'm talking about what are you sowing? What is going down? What are you planting in the ground around you? Are you planting the prayers? And are you planting the word of God that the man of God is speaking to you? Or you don't care. It's just hitting you and it's, oh, it'll fall here. It might lay. I might take that this week. I might use that this week. It may do that. It may. may. For he that soweth through his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. If you're constantly living in that state of, this person is hurting me, this person's talking about me, oh, that post on Facebook was about me, but they didn't want to say it. Or this person at work, I know they're fighting for my job, or, or this family member, they are talking about me to my other family, and this, you know what, get out of the flesh. Stop sowing into that. You say, Brother Bucky, I can't help it. I'm involved. You can help it. You can step away from it. Come on. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall reap the Spirit. Capital S. Praise God. Shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Life everlasting. The effort we put into our, our, our prayer for our pastor, we will reap. I got one right on that. Did, did, did any of the scriptures, they just go over your heads? The prayers and the fasting that we sow in for our pastor, there we plan around us, we are going to reap a great harvest. Okay, 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 that's better. Brother Gary was talking to us uh, at our, our pastoral team meeting a few weeks back, and he talked about the, the uh, 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 the battle against the Amalekites that the Israelites were doing. And God had spoke to Moses and he said, he said, as long as your hands are raised, and he was up on a mountain, he said, as long as your hands are raised, the Israelites would prevail over the Amalekites. Joshua would prevail. 
But guess what? Moses' hands got tired, as any of anybody's would. A great, this great leader that God had called, that had conquered adversity in his own life, his, his speech impediment and the, the things that, that he was not, he conquered. And he was now the leader of the children of Israel. But guess what? He still got tired. But God said, hey, I don't care if you're tired. If you will keep your hands raised. And so you know what happened? There was two men by the name of Aaron and Hur. That their mission, that their intent was to keep his arms raised as high as they could. It says in the scripture that when his hands lowered, that the children of Israel began to, began to lose. But they, be, they didn't know what to do. They said they got rocks and they put it in his armpits so they wouldn't come down like that. Brother Gary said it like this. He told us, he said, some scholars say that they made Moses take a seat. And they supplanted themselves completely up under him to completely lift him up. To completely give all of their strength just so they could lift him up because they were sold out. We must lift up our pastor and more importantly the men of God in our lives. We must be able to grasp onto their vision in the midst of question, in the midst of other circumstances going on in our lives, we must be able to say, I am following you, Pastor. I will not be the forgotten. I will not be one of those who, who wasn't ready to fight. We look at the book of Matthew. I believe I gave these scriptures to them. In the book of Matthew chapter 22, if you'll read with me, I'm not going to be much longer, I promise. Starting in verse 1 in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables. And said this, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son. In verse 3, and sent forth his servants, his servants, his servants, to call them that were bidden to the wedding. And they would not come. Number one, the first time. And again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen. This isn't the cheap stuff, this is the king's stuff. I've prepared this, I've had this prepared. And all the things are ready, come unto the marriage. But they made light of it. You still with me? I got four people. Okay. Come on. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. I didn't realize merchandise was a word in the Bible. But it is. And God kind of... Open that up to me tonight that some of these people that were, didn't care about the wedding, they chose money. They chose their lifestyle over partaking in things of the king. Let that sink in just for a second. Verse 6, and the remnant, the remaining, took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. You understand what just happened? 
the king's servants who he sent to invite them to a king's banquet, a king's marriage. He said, you know what? I don't care. And you know what? Don't even show up here again. Shut up. You know what? Kill him. Seems a little over the top. But Jesus is speaking in a parable. He wants us to understand how these people were so wrapped up in their own lives, in their merchandise, in their farm, in the things that they were doing. They didn't want anything to take away from their time. They didn't want to give up any of their time. And they didn't want the king to come back and send anybody else to say, hey, come. So they took care of it themselves. And they said, you know what? I'm going to stop this king from bothering me. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Never underestimate the vengeance of a king. Verse number 8. Then he saith to his servants, the wedding is ready. The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together as many as they could find. Both good I'm sorry, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. He was underdressed. And he saith to them, friend, how camest thou? In hither not having a wedding garment. And he was speechless. Um, that's speechless. Then he said, the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Seems a little excessive, king. Just saying. But understand this is a parable. Understand where God is actually saying, what God is actually saying is happening. About your preparedness, about understanding what's going on. In verse number 14, the king says this, For many are called, but few are chosen. Matthew Henry, the great preacher and scholar, states that this instruction given by the parable of the marriage supper concerning the rejection of the Jews and the welcoming of the Gentiles and that by the doom of the guest had not the wedding garment, it was giving warning to the danger of the hypocrisy of the profession of Christianity. We understand that Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But throughout every translation that I could find, verse 14 consistently remains the same, and it just began to stick with me. Many are called, few are chosen. What does that even mean? And my mind hearkened back 
to Gideon. And some of us might look at this situation in the parable and be of the opinion, why would a king do this? I mean, after all, didn't he send his servants out and bid them to come? He should have lowered his expectations after the second time when his servants got killed. What's this king thinking? Why is he going to kill this guy? Because his servants told him to come, and he came. But let me present this to you. In reading of the passage, we can, underly, we can easily understand. We can easily understand the importance of this, of this banquet, this marriage, right? Hello? Yes? Okay. Yes, we understand. Okay. He's sending his servants out three times. Three times. Okay. We understand the importance. And we can see that also by the vengeance that he took against those who killed his servants, he merely did not just seek vengeance and was like, well, this wedding's just going to be a big flop. Let's just do something private. That wasn't his opinion. That wasn't his motive. That's, that's not what he was looking to do. He knew how important this marriage was. And I hope you can uncorrelate what we're talking about today. He continued on in stating to his servants that the wedding is ready. But those who were bidden were not worthy. He was like, you know what? They weren't even worthy. He's like, I, I made a mistake and I picked the wrong people. He was like, you know what? Who's worthy? Go find anyone that you can find. He gave them the order to go into the highways. You know what I also thought about this? God kind of said, he said, they didn't just stay local. He said they traveled. Most of the time when you get on a highway, you're going a good bit of a distance. It was important, not just to the local community for this, this king's mindset. It was important to the whole world, as many as they could find. Are you with me today? And again, we can see how the king knows, and he has a special understanding, the king does, of how important this event is. So the servants went, and they found, according to the scripture, both good and bad. Would you say good and bad? Good and bad. They found good and bad. That's fine. Okay, we get that. But their orders were followed, and they filled the banquet hall. But then the king arrived, and one was not dressed properly, and the king went in. He let him have it. So why did this seemingly desperate, desperate man, this desperate king, why did he sentence this man who responded to an invitation when others didn't? Why did he sentence him to punishment? So the real question I want to ask you today is whose fault was it that this man wasn't dressed for the wedding? Was it his fault? Yes or no? I, I would say yes because what are the chances, I would say yes it's his fault, because what are the chances that this man did not know the significance of being dressed for a wedding. This wasn't the first wedding. The, the Word of God doesn't say this was the very first wedding in the beginning. No. What are the chances that he didn't understand what I should wear to a wedding? I mean, I've been to a lot of weddings this summer, and I've seen some pretty badly dressed people. No offense to any of our newlyweds. Okay? 
Some people just had no clue and just showed up and, uh, yeah. But I find it hard to believe that this man did not know how or not think of, I should probably put on my nicer garments. And some of you may say, Pastor Bucky, you are so uh, 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 prejudiced. What if this guy didn't even have any nice garments? What if this was just a, a, a poverty-stricken man, barely surviving, barely had any garments to begin with, and now he's being given an invitation to a royal wedding, and you're throwing him under the bus? This is something that he's only imagined of being invited to. Come on. And he actually got an invitation. He's simply coming as he is. It's not his fault. And to that point, I say, you are absolutely right. And I place the blame on the servant. In this passage, we can very easily understand, again, the importance of this event. And even more so, how much the royal servants, the royal servants, those servants of the king, how much they would have known, how much they would have understood the importance of this event. Stay with me, I'm almost finished, I promise. Everything was ready, three times over, three times over. It was ready on the first time, it was ready on the second time, it was ready on the third time. That's what that means. How could these servants, how could these servants not know the dress code? I can't imagine it not being discussed and these servants not knowing it. How could they have not conveyed the importance of having the right garment on? I would submit to you that somewhere along the lines, the standards of what mattered to the king changed from what mattered to the servants. And while there are those who believe standards and requirements have no such place in the house of God, that He is a God of love, that it has come as you are, and it is everyone's invited to be a disciple of Christ. That has changed along the way. And hear me today, while there is no requirement to walk through these doors, there is no requirement to sleep on these chairs There is no requirement to feel the love of Christ. But God has challenged us to find as many as we can. And he's challenged us to go into the highways and bid them to come. And he wants us to know that we must lead them. We must be the example. Would you stand? How could a servant of the king not understand the importance of a wedding garment? We cannot change our standard. We cannot let our standard slip from what God has given us through the man of God. We cannot disregard the importance because our mindset does not match up with his mindset. 
we must hold that standard. We must know that God has called us to be a disciple maker. He's called us to be an example. So what we are doing, they're going to do. If the importance is not there in our mindset, it will not be there. These chairs will remain empty. While this message may be hard to hear, because it's hard for me to preach, I can say that. And you may be feeling like you don't have what it takes. Maybe you're sitting here today and be like, man, this is me 100%. Well, that's Brother Bucky right here. I didn't want to speak this because I knew I was reading my own mail. And I hope that you hear me today. But let me remind you lastly of the story of Peter. All his traits, the bad and the good, were chosen by Jesus. Jesus handpicked him. And for Peter to be sold out the following Christ and Jesus saying directly to Peter, you are going to deny me, what do you think Peter's reaction was? Are you serious? Jesus, I'm going to deny you? I just cut a dude's ear off for you. I'm sold out. And some of us can't stand in this place right here and take a word from pastor when he says, you're going through this. And you're not going to succeed until you do this. And you say, pastor, you don't know me. You know that I've been here for three Sundays in a row. Pastor, do you know that I've said I'm praying for you on every Facebook group message? Do you know who I am? Imagine the guilt that Peter faced amongst the other disciples when Jesus told him that. And understand, there are times when pastors read your mail and you're like, did he really just have to do that? Did he really just have to say that? You know what? I'll take care of it next week. I got to go home and deal with my frustration. I got to go home and deal with my my lack of trust in my pastor because he just put me on blast. And we leave this place like Peter left, shaking his head. And what happened? We know what happened. Three times. You know, you would think after the first time Peter would have been like, oh. But guess what? Peter's just like us. Standing here, denying that we're going to deny, not willing to be like, Oh, I'm going to do this? What can I do to make this different? Immediately. No, Peter didn't. But as zealous as Peter was in the spirit, he still had the flesh to fight against. And you think after the first time again that we realize, and that's that's what the problem is here today. And I'm going to encourage you just to come here in a little bit. That's the problem today. So we have that same mentality that Peter did before he denied Christ. It's not going to happen. I can control this. I've already, well, pastor already spoke a word. It's not going to happen to me. I don't need to find a way around this. The mentality of I'm in control is what we're fighting against. Every single time we walk through these doors, 
and these chairs are empty and our baptistry is dry. It'll happen, it'll happen. And as egregious as we think that this denial was, I mean, we now, we now judge Peter because he's a loser because he was told up front that he was going to do this and he couldn't control himself. But again, Peter is us. He'd been with Christ. He'd walked with him. Walked hand in hand. Had dinner with him. Talked with him. Knew his heart. But yet, it still happened. But I want to tell you this. Peter didn't stay there. He didn't stay in that state of denial. He didn't stay in that state of, I messed up and I am the biggest loser in the world. He didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. The scripture talks about Jesus saying in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Yeah, I've heard men of God saying that Jesus was talking about himself there. But the interpretation that God gave me is that Peter, he was talking about Peter because Peter's zealous and his intent was never questioned. He was willing to go. He was willing to fight because the scripture directly correlates to this. It says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We all know what gates do. They keep people out. But Peter was zealous and he lived with intent and he was saying, no gate is going to keep me from reaching. So don't let your frustrations, don't let your mistakes, don't let your anger, don't let your discouragement, don't let anything keep you from walking up here today and saying, God, I'm not going to be the forgotten. I'm not going to be the forgotten. I'm going to be the chosen. I'm going to stand in this gap. I'm going to fill this gap and say to my pastor and pray for my pastor, I'm behind you, pastor. Do I have anyone here today that will make that decision? That will fill this altar and say, I am yours. I am chosen. Do I have none? No one will come? No one will fill this altar? Don't stay in your state of denial. Don't stay in a, in a, in a state of lack of control. Let go and let God use you. We must have that same determination that Peter had to not let him wallow in his, and live in self-pity. We must know that God has chosen us. Would you lift your hands and just cry out to him today? Just cry out to him today. Come on. Come on, every mistake, every misstep, every lack of confidence that you've had in the man of God, that you've had in the word of God. Let it go today. Lift your hands and say, Lord, God, no doubt in my mind, no doubt in my heart, no doubt in my soul. God, I am committed to you today.